Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download. Tonight on The Readout. House will be in order. Kevin McCarthy heckled on the House floor after Wednesday's latest Republican sideshow, an absurd vote to censure Adam Schiff for something. Well, now Donald Trump is counting on Mike Kevin and his oddball caucus to save him because he has no legitimate defense in his criminal case for taking national security documents home and not giving them back. Also tonight, No Labels, the group that claims America needs a third party choice if Biden and Trump are the nominees. I'll ask national the national co-chair about the very real possibility that they could inadvertently help put Trump back in the White House. Plus, breaking news on the missing Titanic submersible. The Coast Guard has now confirmed debris has been found after a, quote, catastrophic implosion, killing all five on board. But we begin tonight with what is becoming a clearer reality for the twice impeached, twice indicted former president, who up to now has been able to live a charmed life with little accountability, no matter what alleged crimes that he's committed. And now, after at 77 years of age, for the first time, Donald Trump has found himself in a bind that he can't wriggle out of. A big part of that is because Trump has met his match, and his name is Jack Smith. It's been seven months since Smith was appointed special counsel in the investigation into Trump's mishandling of classified documents. And while Trump has spent that time trying to win in the court of public opinion, spewing conspiracy theories and insults against the DOJ— Smith has been hard at work preparing a case to win in an actual courtroom based on facts and evidence. Trump and his legal team are getting their first look at some of that evidence as part of the discovery phase of the case. And it is likely causing some anxiety for the man who is trying to claim they're all out to get me as his legal strategy. The first batch of unclassified evidence shared by Smith includes information collected through subpoenas and grand jury testimony from witnesses who will take the stand for the government, according to a court filing yesterday. But what could be even more damning is the part of the filing that says interviews, plural, to describe the recordings of Trump made with his consent that the special counsel has obtained and is turning over. Now, we already know of one such bombshell recording made at Trump's Bedminster Golf Club, with Trump talking about a classified military document with people who were ghostwriting the memoir of his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, a recording where he admitted he couldn't show the document, which he seemed to be waving around to the writers who didn't have a security clearance because it was still classified, counter to Trump's numerous public claims that he declassified all the documents he took from the White House. And we don't know what the other recordings are, but the fact that they're being shared indicates that they're at least relevant to the case. And Trump is showing signs that he's growing more and more fearful of what's to come. The Atlantic's Tom Nichols points to Trump's disastrous Fox News interview this week as another sign that he is afraid, pointing to Trump's recent interview in which he seemed deeply uneasy in an environment where he sort of felt at home, saying he looked genuinely off balance and was showcasing the trademark tells, including nervous and distracting sniffling and verbal hiccups, such as, are you ready? That signal when he's tense and flustered. 
And you don't have to take it from me or Tom Nichols. Just look at Trump's page from his Twitter knockoff where he spent this morning lashing out in extra long rants against the investigation, including in his signature all cap style. For once, it does look like real accountability could be at hand for Trump. And frankly, he has every reason to be afraid. Joining me now is MSNBC legal analyst Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel and former senior member of the Mueller probe. Always great to see you, Andrew. Um, I want to read to you um, from the discovery court filing, which is this is the thing that's got folks intrigued. Um, The government will disclose any payments, promises of immunity, leniency, preferential treatment or other indict inducements made to prospective government witnesses within the scope of Jiglio versus the United States or Napway versus Illinois. Um, Can you explain what that means in regular people terms? (laughs) Well, I'll try. You know, I am a lawyer and a law professor, so I'll give it my best shot. Um, So under the Constitution, the government has to disclose evidence that it from about its witnesses that could impeach them. So, for instance, let's just take Michael Cohen. If Michael Cohen is called as a witness in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, he's not going to be called in the Mar-a-Lago case, but in the Manhattan District Attorney's case, The Constitution requires that the government turn over to the defense all of his prior bad acts, everything that could be used to impeach him, most notably the fact that he has admitted that he committed perjury uh, for Donald Trump, but nevertheless, he committed perjury. So what that letter is um, saying is we are going to turn over everything uh, that could be used to undermine the credibility of our witnesses. And that's part of what due process requires of the government and every defendant, whether it's Donald Trump or somebody who's much less notable without those resources, um, uh, is entitled to get from the government. And, and let's just say Donald Trump, because he does have a pretend Twitter and he does use it quite extensively, yes. uh, were to, what does he call it, truth out something that he learns in this discovery phase. What would be the penalty? Because he has been told he's not supposed to do it. What if he did it anyway? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that the government has done, which I think is totally right, uh, is they have turned over this discovery really early. I mean, this is this is you know exactly what you want our government to be doing, but it also allows them to say to the judge they want a quick trial because they've turned over the discovery so um, early to the defense. But that does mean that Donald Trump has a greater opportunity to try and tamper with witnesses, which is what your question goes to. Now, both in the Manhattan DA's case and in this case, um, the judges have issued orders saying what he can and cannot do with that evidence. But, you know, uh, an order is a piece of paper and the um, defendant here, defendant Trump, is already um, being accused of violating various laws, uh, including a, a grand jury subpoena. Um, so, you know, that order remains to be seen whether it is going to work. Having said that, um, if he now tries to tamper with witnesses, um, that is such a serious offense. If you might remember, Paul Manafort, who I prosecuted in connection with the Mueller investigation, did just that. He tampered with two witnesses while out on bail. Um, and you know what happened? He went to jail. Um, <laughs> that was somebody who was out on bail. Um, and if you tamper with witnesses, if you commit that serious a crime while you're out on bail, that's that's a obvious consequence. So Donald Trump would obviously have to be caught 
uh, doing this, but um, it can happen. And then the consequence is, you know, he'll be running for the Republican nomination from inside of a jail cell. <laughs> Well, you still think of tampering with witnesses. He has a co-defendant, uh, Walty Nada, uh, who's also facing very serious counts, including lying to the FBI. Um, let's just say he learned in the discovery what Walt Nada has said in the course of the investigation. And then he I mean, there's, it'd be hard to prevent him from tampering with him. Right. I mean, he practically lives at Mar-a-Lago. Is there a way that he could be sanctioned for that? And then part two of my question is, do you think that the that Jack Smith is still trying to work Walt Nada to get him to flip at this stage? So um, I think Walt Nada would be the hardest person to um, be able to detect whether there is sort of continuing tampering with him. Um, the judge did say that they can only speak about things unrelated to the case. But I mean, good luck monitoring that. Right. Um, so that's that's a tough one. Um, but I do think at this point, whatever collusion, favorite word of, of uh, Donald Trump, <laughs> there is between Donald Trump and Nauda has has happened. In other words, whatever cooked up story they have, that's sort of baked in. And that is presumably why Walt Nauda is now being charged for making yeah. false statements and obstructing. Um, so I do think it'd be it'd be hard to to catch that. Um, of course, the issue of Walt Nada flipping, obviously the government tried to have that um, and tried to do that. Walt Nada, as is his right, decided not to and to face the music. That's also his constitutional right. Um, you know, at this point, it's really clear that the government doesn't need him. So his window of opportunity to come in may, may be over. Um, may be closed. Exactly. And at this point, you know, he decided, as we used to say, which side of the V he wants to be on in the United States versus the defendant. He was given an opportunity to be on the United States side. He has decided, as is his right, to be on the other side. Um, I, you know, you never know if it's ultimately too late, but I, I can assure you, knowing Jack Smith, that if he comes in, he's going to have to plead guilty uh, yeah. to what he did. And when you hear recordings, should we presume that recordings means the public statements Donald Trump has made on television? Or is this juicier stuff? Like, could it be like the recordings that came out of Bedminster? Uh, I'm assuming it's the former, that it's things like the Brett Baer interview right. slash, slash confession uh, that we heard the other day. Um, and the reason for that is, although it could be things like the Bedminster tape that you referred to, Joy, I thought I think that if there was something that explosive of equal uh, evidentiary value, it would have been put into the indictment and we would have right. known about it. That, that doesn't mean the tapes aren't going to be incredibly useful. It could be, you know, Donald Trump. Trump making a whole series of what are known as false exculpatory statements. And you know, we've been privy to that. We've watched him have his sort of defense du jour. And <laughs> the government needs to decide, are they going to play that for the jury so they can yeah. see that his story keeps on changing? That's usually a sign that the person does is not innocent if they have to keep on having different explanations for what they did. I, I, the one question I do want to ask it, because, you know, my great producer that produced this segment did the math. Uh, it would be about 400 years total. And, we're, and we don't think he's going to get it. Obviously, he's somebody with no prior convictions, blah, blah, blah. But all of those counts that he faces are pretty serious. Is there still a possibility to play the, the, uh, the game that Rachel Maddow played, which I think is smart for us to think about? Could Donald Trump at this stage, as he was advised to by Mr. Kyes, one of his lawyers, to try to do, cut some sort of blanket deal that would involve non-prosecution in some of these state cases like 
uh, Georgia, non-prosecution on January 6th, some kind of deal with Manhattan and blank and wrap it all together with a guilty plea and maybe, let's say, a promise not to run for president. Is that something you think is plausible? You know, for somebody who's not Donald Trump, I think that is plausible. You know, if I were representing somebody who was rational, I would sit there and say, <laughs> look at what David Petraeus did. David Petraeus yeah. was caught red-handed doing something similar, but not as egregious. He pled and he got no jail time and a deal was yeah. worked out. So you could end up with somebody trying to say, look, let's try and wrap all of this up, Manhattan, Georgia, the federal cases, and see what kind of, what is the best deal that we could get. Um, we've, there is reporting that one of his attorneys um, did try that, and Donald Trump said, I'm not interested. Yeah. And that's because Donald Trump's really running on two different levels. One is a, sort of a, his real game is here is, is to have a political solution where either he or another Republican wins and he gets pardoned. Because one of the reasons that, as you noted, he seemed so scared in the Brett Baer interview is when in a forum where facts and law matter, you know, he has nothing to, he can't really make any arguments there because, yeah. you know, he's, he, it seems very clear that he's guilty. Um, and he is showing that in his demeanor. So he's really running in a very different uh, forum, which is the political one where facts and law may not matter to right. a significant part of the electorate. Yeah. And I will note for the audience, there is a Kansas um, FBI agent who kept classified documents also in her bathroom. And guess what she got? Straight to jail. Three 40, years, yeah. 10 months. 46 yeah. months. Absolutely. Straight to jail. That's, so everybody gets to go. If you do it, Straight to jail. Uh, Andrew Weissman, thank you very much. And up next on the readout, as his panic builds, Trump turns to his allies in Congress for help. But so far, it's looking like the best they can come up with is impeach Biden for something. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Donald Trump ran for president in 2016 on the mantra of I alone can fix it. And when you think about it throughout his life, he really hasn't fixed any of his problems on his own. He's always had someone else do it for him. People like his father, who constantly bailed him out financially, or Roy Cohn, the notorious mob lawyer who was Trump's first fixer, or Alan Weisselberg, Roger Stone, Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort. Trump relied on all of them to take care of him, make all of his legal, financial, or political problems just go away. Poof. And for their trouble, they each wound up disgraced or disbarred or in prison as Trump remained unscathed. But now the twice impeached, twice indicted former president is in a unique situation where the walls of justice are closing in and he has no one, no big, strong savior to help him wiggle his way out of there. 
it's apparent from Trump's caterwauling tantrums on his wannabe Twitter this morning that he's getting desperate for someone, anyone to help. He's so desperate that he's now begging his cult members in Congress to please, please step in. However, they have some problems of their own to deal with, mainly the fact that their caucus is, to put it lightly, a total clown show. Today, for example, the House narrowly avoided a vote to impeach impeach President Biden over, wait for it, his handling of the U.S.-Mexico border. That motion, introduced by Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, was instead sent to committee, basically postponing it indefinitely to save Speaker Kevin McCarthy from embarrassment. Meanwhile, Marjorie Taylor Greene is admitting to calling Boebert a little B-word on the House floor because she wanted to be the one to impeach Biden. Just remember, these are your elected representatives. You pay their salaries. You're welcome. The present caucus, the present circus, I should say, comes as Republicans yesterday voted to censure Congressman Adam Schiff for, let's see, checking my notes here, his role in Trump's first impeachment for trying to blackmail Ukraine, which he did. That move ended in this dramatic moment on the House floor. House will be in order. And then you have Congressman Jim Jordan and James Comer, who have turned the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees into Trump's personal defense team, focusing all their energy, all of it, on finding something, anything, for God's sakes, please, that they can label as wrongdoing by President Biden or his son, which so far has yielded a red hot bowl of nothing. This is what the House of Representatives has become, y'all, as Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi summed up yesterday. This is a do-nothing, Republican-controlled Congress. That is why this censure resolution is on the floor today. Extreme MAGA Republicans have no vision, have no plan, have no agenda to make life better for everyday Americans. The other side has turned this, this chamber where slavery was abolished, where Medicare and Social Security and everything were instituted, they've turned it into a puppet show. A puppet show, and you know what? The puppeteer, Donald Trump, is shining a light on the strings. You look miserable. You look miserable. <laughs> Joining me now is David Jolly, MSNBC political analyst and former Republican congressman who's no longer affiliated with the party. I just wonder why. Jamel Bowie, New York Times columnist and co-host of the Unclear and Present Danger podcast. Welcome to the show, Jamel. I, I, but I, I do want to really quickly start with David because, I mean, they look miserable, but what's their, I mean, uh, Robert, one of my producers, his argument, his, his uh, statement in our meeting earlier was, what's their counterargument to that? No, we don't look miserable. We look fine. This is fine. You know, I mean, this is Donald Trump's caucus that's going to save him. Can you think of any of them that can pull it off? <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Joy, I would suggest their misery is rooted in their own ignorance and their own deliberate malfeasance. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is exactly right. This is a chamber who throughout history has wrestled with questions of war and peace and Social Security, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, major landmark moments in American history. And now they're trying to impeach Joe Biden on a dime and censure Adam Schiff. And I think it speaks to the fact that Kevin McCarthy himself is one of the weakest speakers we've seen in modern history. Look, Republicans at this point, keep keep doing it because the verdict of the American people will come in November of 2024. And Democrats and Joe Biden, you have a party and a leader who are trying to solve the problems of the American people. And in the Republicans, you have a party trying to usher in a grievance agenda based on whatever is pleasing to Donald Trump. 
You know, Jamal, I mean, you have, uh, you know, Republican female House members scratching each other's eyes out over who gets to impeach Biden, you know, over the border when border crossings are down 70 percent. Um, under Joe Biden. I don't even know how they would structure that kind of a thing. But I mean, this is what Trump wants. And and it isn't helping him in a legal sense. But what do you think, what does it accomplish? Because they're not actually finding any evidence against Joe Biden. Yeah, I think the idea is that they're going to create a lot of muck, create a lot of the appearance of scandal, maybe create a lot of smoke, and then hope that the public associates that smoke with an actual fire, that the appearance of scandal, the appearance of, of wrongdoing convinces the public that actual wrongdoing is happening. The problem is that the Republican majority can't really get out of its own way. That the Republican majority is so dysfunctional, is so disinterested in legislating and pursuing any kind of agenda, that the attempt to create smoke just doesn't really work out. It it, it peters out because people look at the majority and they say, well, these kind of just look like a bunch of clowns doing clown stuff and not like a mature governing body actually dealing with the problems the nation faces. You know, it, it, let me just give an example. Here's here's a this is Congressman Comer in his investigation. He, here he is trying to explain it to a friendly a friendly voice, Sean Hannity. This oligarch the, the, is a high ranking was a high ranking member uh, or owner of Burisma. Yes, that is exactly right. So have you, you had have you had any contact with him? Unfortunately, nobody's had any contact with him for the last three years. You know, the the MSNBC makes fun of me when I said that there are a lot of people that were involved in uh, the Biden shenanigans that that are are currently missing. Yes. Yes. Congressman Comer, MSNBC does make fun of you. I'm I'm making fun of you. I mean, it, it, it. They have missed. They have people they say are witnesses who they haven't talked to and can't find for three years. They have supposed investigations by this Durham character that are going to nail the Bidens. And then they come up with nothing. And then they're yelling at each other. And, And I just wonder, you are a former congressman, David. At some point. Why don't their voters actually want them to do anything? Because obviously they're getting reelected and they're not doing anything. Yeah, Joy, I think this is one of those moments where it's hard to put yourselves in the shoes of a Republican. Republicans today truly believe, they believe with conviction that Joe Biden is part of a crime family and his son has been involved in it. And you have young members of Congress, the one that introduced the censure against Adam Schiff, that actually have been elevated to elected office believing that. But what you see from Comers and others is allegations without any evidence. And look, I think Democrats are, of course, being careful around issues related to Joe Biden's son. Hunter, but I think this is a moment where you embrace and declare the exoneration that happened this week in the plea deal between the Department of Justice and Hunter Biden, which is Hunter Biden in his personal capacity has faced a settlement now on tax charges and lying on a gun application. Well, consider what the allegations have been over the past five years. You just heard them from Comer, business dealings with with oligarchs, all of the, the dirty money that has changed hands and ultimately bribery allegations against the president himself. In five years, Republicans haven't been able to prove it. And two Trump appointed U.S. attorneys, a Trump appointed AG and a Trump appointed judge are about to sign off on a deal that says none of that actually is true and provides no liability to Hunter Biden nor Joe Biden. Republicans are being fools right now not to just take the loss and go home and move on and address the priorities of the American people. 
You know, Jamel, I have a sort of unified theory, one of my many unified theories, is that, you know, Obama really did break the brains of many Republicans, and they can't accept that their Obama, Donald Trump, was a failure, and that his administration was a failure, and that he didn't actually do anything for them and didn't do anything other than crime. And so there, there, there is a magical thinking involved, saying there must be some scandal in the Biden family. They must be equivalent to Jared and Ivanka. If Jared and Ivanka were taking and getting $2 billion and they were doing corruption, there must be some equivalent on the other side, because there's just a lack of ability to accept your side might actually kind of suck. <laughs> and maybe you should just get different people. But they just want to find the evil on the other side that they refuse to see on their own. No, I, I think that's, that's probably right in, in some respect, that there's just this magical thinking and happening on the Republican side. But I'd also say that you know the, the Republican Party entirely um, in the congressional level, uh, at the presidential level, the candidates has, has really formed itself around the person of Donald Trump and really taken on much of his pathologies, much of his obsessions, much of his uh, uh, unusual qualities. And I, I think that had the Republican Party prior to Trump had some sort of policy and real ideological core, it might have been able to resist that. But I think that what we forget is that in the years prior to Trump, there was this real soul searching within the Republican Party. What was going yep. to come next having been defeated twice in a row by Obama? And that soul searching didn't really end up producing anything. What happened yeah. instead was that Trump was able to kind of fill the vacuum. And I think what we're seeing now is how having filled, having now filled that vacuum, there's nothing really else. It's just Trump. And it's just various lawmakers emulating Trump, presidential candidates emulating Trump. That's all there is now. That is so well put, because you're right. I talked earlier, interviewed a long time ago, a Trump supporter who said it was his celebrity. It made them feel like they had like a Reagan, like it felt like something big and great and interesting and pop culture winning. And so that's why they liked it. And you're right. There's not there's no substance uh, and they can't save them. David Jolly, Jamal Bowie. Thank you both very much. Still ahead. The loss of the Titan submersible raises serious questions about the lack of regulation in the high end adventure tourism arena. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. The five passengers on Ocean Gate's missing Titanic submersible are now believed to be dead after a, quote, catastrophic implosion. That's according to the U.S. Coast Guard, who also said a debris field was discovered within the search area. 
OceanGate released a statement today saying they, too, believe that all passengers died after the vessel went missing over the weekend. The tourist sub had attempted to dive down to the wreckage of the Titanic, more than two miles underwater. The critical rescue mission has put a spotlight on, the extre- on extreme underwater tourism, the type boosted by Stockton Rush, OceanGate CEO and the pilot of the missing sub. He's also central to an eerie connection to the actual Titanic. His wife, Wendy Rush, is a descendant of two first-class passengers who died when the Titanic sank in 1912. Those passengers, among the most wealthy on the ocean liner, were retailing magnate Isidore Strauss and his wife, Ida. According to Titanic survivors, Mr. Strauss refused a seat on a lifeboat when women and children were still waiting to board. Mrs. Strauss refused to abandon her husband, and so the couple was seen standing arm in arm on the deck as the ship went down. Their tragic story was immortalized in the 1997 film Titanic, which featured a shot of an older couple embracing in bed as water rushed into their room. Joining me now from Boston is NBC News correspondent Tom Costello. And Tom, this story has riveted, it seems like, the entire world. It is an ending that is not unexpected, certainly tragic. What do we know about how the wreckage was actually discovered and found? Uh, So we are at Coast Guard Command here in Boston, and the Coast Guard says that this morning they had a a Canadian ship come in and drop an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle, down into the water. This is the the best, deepest ROV yet that they put into the water. And very quickly, they started surveying the area around the known wreckage site for the Titanic, and it didn't take long. They very quickly started seeing the, the remains of the sub on the surface of the ocean and it did not interfere with the titanic wreck site the the graveyard at sea it really was about 1600 feet away and as we really asked the coast guard for more information they said no it appear it does not appear that the sub crashed into the titanic instead it imploded in the water column above the titanic or close to it and then all of that debris rained down And now we've learned from the Navy that, in fact, on Sunday, the Navy detected what sounded or was similar to the sounds of an implosion or an explosion in the water about the time that that sub lost communication with the mothership. And as you know, Joy, the Navy has microphones and sensors all across the North Atlantic really to listen for Russian sub activity. It does appear that they may have picked up the implosion of the sub. Very tragic uh, for all involved. NBC's Tom Costello, thank you very much. Um, And coming up, everything that you need to know about the supposedly centrist political group No Labels and how their backing of a third-party candidate could have a big impact on the coming election. Back in a sec. It is going to be a big night tonight, no matter what happens in the end. We are in for the long haul. We recognize that the long haul might not mean this evening. Michigan, too early to call, period. Georgia, too early to call. Arizona, too early to call. Biden leads. Wisconsin, too early to call. Check those nine states out in gray still at this hour, undecided. The presidential race hanging in the balance. 
<laughs> Sorry for the flashbacks. That, was, of course, was Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. And it was not until four days later that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had clinched the majority of electoral votes and the White House. Until that moment, America was on edge and unclear who would become president. It was eerily reminiscent of 2016 when America did not learn that Donald Trump would be president of the United States until the following morning. Unlike 2016, though, there were no viable third-party candidates on the ballot in 2020. And the Biden-Harris ticket picked up Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by razor-thin majorities. 2024 is already shaping up to be another long slog with about a dozen Republican candidates already in the race. RFK Jr. running as a vaccine-denying Democrat. And Cornell West, with the help of Jill Stein, remember her, running as the Green Party candidate. And to that political Star Wars bar walks No Labels, a self-described centrist organization founded in 2010 to fight rising political polarization. They are now looking to mount a third-party presidential bid in 2024, claiming that polls show that the public is ready for a middle-of-the-road political alternative to the two major parties. And they're bolstering this quest by trying to raise at least $70 million with the goal of hosting a convention in Dallas next April. No labels in their robust third-party push comes from some folks that you've definitely heard of before and some who have had their own experience with defeat being snatched from the jaws of victory. There's Nancy Jacobson, co-founder and CEO, who happens to be one of Washington's most successful fundraisers. Former Senator Joe Lieberman, the 2000 Democratic VP nominee who endorsed the presidential bid of his Republican buddy John McCain in 2008 while criticizing his own party's nominee, Barack Obama. Plus two former Republican governors, Maryland's Larry Hogan and North Carolina's Pat McCrory, known mainly for signing into law an anti-LGBTQ bathroom bill, and civil rights activists Dr. Ben Chavis and John Hope Bryant. Who's financially backing this push? Well, it's not entirely clear. The group is currently a registered nonprofit, so they're not required to explain where their funding comes from. They've been openly flirting with recruiting moderate Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who just happens to also be a co-chair. He has not said if he will run for president as a centrist. Democrats are not thrilled, (laughs) you might imagine, about this prospect because data shows that the introduction of a no-labels candidate siphons votes away from Biden and could lead to a Trump victory, which could literally usher in the demise of American democracy with an administration ready to end abortion access nationally, prosecute political enemies, round up homeless people, and execute drug dealers, a prospect that rightfully scares people. The group has told reporters that they would exit the race if Donald Trump does not win the Republican nomination, or if Joe Biden is way ahead in the polls. Third-party candidates have had a rough go of it in this country. Teddy Roosevelt tried to return to the White House as a progressive and failed. And no third-party candidate has won a single electoral vote since 1968. For the record, I am not against having more choices. I think it is a valid argument that our political system could use it. But when there is so much at stake in this really tight political climate, is this really the right time to try something like this just to make a point? Well, after the break, I will ask No Labels National Co-Chair and Civil Rights Leader Dr. Benjamin Chavis that very question. (laughs) 
Reverend Dr. Benjamin Chavis Jr. was one of the principal organizers of the Million Man March in 1995, an event meant to bring attention to the violence within to violence within the black community and come up with solutions. He was also the executive director and CEO of the NAACP and is now a national co-chair of No Labels. And Dr. Chavis joins me now. Dr. Chavis, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So good to see you again. It is wonderful to see you again as well. And it was interesting seeing uh, we watched some video of you from back in the Million Man March days. And I know you were uh, obviously leader of the NAACP. So I am curious about your connection to this organization, No Labels. Um, I want to read to you from you guys. Uh, this is your piece that you all put out that sort of explains what you're doing. And on page two, it says the following. It says, we, no labels, created the first of its kind House Problem Solvers Caucus and an allied Senate group that were the force behind historic bipartisan achievements like the 2021 infrastructure bill. Joe Biden, the sitting president of the United States, is running for reelection largely on that bill and on his other bipartisan achievements, many of which are credited to the Problem Solvers Caucus right. and that centrist group in the Senate. They're bipartisan. So, right. Ventures. And so if you have a president that's already doing bipartisan work and running for re-election on it, why run a third-party candidate that could cost him the election? We want him to continue to do bipartisan work because bipartisan work is the only thing that works. The two extremes, the far, far left and the far, far right, does not provide solutions to America's problems. But at the moment... Don, uh, Joe Biden, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, uh, apologize right. for interrupting you. Joe Biden is operating from the very middle that you tout in this, in your literature. So, we want him so, to continue why, to work so then him. why not just support Joe Biden this for re-election? First of all, let me clear something up. No labels is not a pro-Trump spoiler. Oh, I didn't say you were. And no labels is not an anti-Biden mm-hmm. group. What we are for is that the all polls show, including NBC, mm-hmm. shows that most Americans did not want to see a repeat of the 2020 election. So what No Labels is doing at the grassroots level, we're trying to get ballot access in all 50 states, including the District of Columbia, in case by next year um, there's the candidates that uh, the Republicans put forward. We know it looks like the candidate that the Democrats have brought would be President Biden. We'll make a decision. Right now, no labels doesn't have any candidate. We're not running up anybody for office now. What we're trying to do is to get in place in case we need to next year. Uh, and it, well, first, let me just let's just clear button up this piece here, because you've said also in your piece, the dominant leaders in both parties can't or will break out of this vicious cycle again. Who are these leaders? You talked about leaders on the left and leaders on the right. We know who leaders on the right are. We, we record right, so on it every night. Far right, who are these, far left. But who are these leaders on the far left who you are saying are creating polarization? Because, again, Joe Biden's party is already operating as a majority centrist party. Well, one point of polarization is those who call for defunding the police. There, that's, when that's when has anyone put forward a bill to defund the police? That no, has but, not happened. But I'm, I'm saying it's not going to have to be a bill. It can be... Uh, the rhetoric. There are a lot of rhetoric on the far right as well as the far left. But again, that doesn't serve the interests of the American people. But here's the difference. On the Republican side, the far right rhetoric is actually dominating their policies. They're attempting to implement. One of the things that No Labels has said is that if it's not Donald Trump, they would that some of the candidates who might be acceptable include Ron DeSantis. No, you used to lead. You used to want No Labels has not said that. It, yes, there have been quotes no, from No who, Labels where, saying that where's it, the quote? that it would be no acceptable. Labels is not. I, I'm, I represent no labels. Okay. I can tell you we have not endorsed any candidate, okay. Republican or Democrat. So as far as no labels supporting DeSantis, that's mm-hmm. incorrect. Okay. That doesn't happen. And let me ask you if Ron DeSantis would fall under the same 
extremist label that you're kind of characterizing Donald Trump? Would you say Donald Donald Trump would be characterized as somebody you would consider extreme? Because the NAACP, which you used to lead, has issued a travel advisory on Ron DeSantis' state, Florida, because of the attacks on LGBTQ people, on black history. Um, You used to lead the Million Man March. I mean, he has run a campaign that is decidedly anti-black. Do your objections to Trump, do your objections to Trump also apply to him? No labels would never support a candidate that uh, bans books, burns books, Mm -hmm. and prevents people from uh, knowing true history. We are anti-discrimination in all of its form. We're also against voter suppression in all of its form. Well, then he and couldn't be your think, candidate. Not. He, you, well, you would get in if well, he was but the nominee. Listen, but I'm just unpacking now mm-hmm. what we mean by against voter suppression. Mm-hmm. Voter suppression is also not blocking access, equal access to the ballot, which we have run into in several states. In Arizona and Maine, um, party officials on the Democratic side have tried to block no labels from getting equal access to the ballot. That's voter suppression. So one of the things that uh, no labels has said, um, or at least representatives of no labels have said, is that if Don- if Joe Biden is ahead by a wide margin, then no labels would exit quote. the race. That is your quote. That's my quote. Um, but if it was narrow, then no labels, labels would get in. That seems no, to be the— No, op- hold on, no hold that on was not second. my quote. That was, okay. My, my, I'm very clear. Mm-hmm. What no labels has said— in the past, what we say now, and what we will say in the future. We will not make a decision on any candidate until after Super Tuesday, before the April convention in Dallas. If we don't see a clear pathway, there's no labels, for a unity ticket, a Democrat and Republican, a Republican Democrat, to win the electoral college, we stand down. So let me ask we you stand this. Down. If the margin is wide, then there is no risk that a third-party candidate could throw the race, in theory, to someone like a Donald Trump. So if, is if, it— If but the margin let me, is let me close, finish the if let the margin just, is close, we would still stand down if we don't see a pathway okay. to uh, win the electoral college. So just to be clear again, if the margin is narrow, and let's say it's Ron DeSantis versus Joe Biden, no labels would stand down to prevent causing— the race to tip to a DeSantis. Is no that lab- what you're saying? No, yes. No labels will stand down because we don't see a pathway to win the majority of the electoral But is it a pathway college. to win or do you have concern? Because we have seen That's what— That's the criteria. Jill, well, one moment. We have seen what Jill Stein's presence in the race did. Jill in the, Stein in, was a protest candidate. We're not talking about running a protest candidate. Let me ask you about Joe Manchin because Joe Manchin has not said either way whether he would want to run. Joe Manchin is somebody who fits into the no labels model, right? Joe Manchin has voted with— Joe Biden, 87.9% of the time. I don't know if you want to guess how many, what percentage Bernie Sanders has voted with Joe Biden. Uh, again. But it's 90.9%. So, so what is Their the question? voting record uh, are you, is the are same. Are you asking, do we support uh, Joe Manchin? Is that the question? Would Joe Manchin be somebody that you would want to support as prepared, a nominee? No, right now, no labels does not declare support for any candidate. Mm-hmm. But would he be somebody who is theoretically your nominee? Uh, we can't, that's premature to say. Because right now, we're not focused on running a uh, two people or one person. What we're focused on is getting the ballot access. After we see what the American people want, after they go through all these primaries, particularly Super Tuesday, we'll have a very clear answer to whether or not there's a pathway to victory. Let me ask you a specific question then about Joe Manchin. Because Joe Manchin, who would be his constituent? I, know, I, know but, I just Manchin. want to ask good because man. he has not said, good man. Um, but he is somebody who, again, does not dis- differ that much from Joe Biden on many things. But when he does differ, it is on support for voting rights. He stood in the way of that. 
It is on support for women's integrity, bodily integrity. He stood in the way of a bill to try to codify Roe. Um, it is on things like climate. He did cut a sweetheart deal. He is an oil magnate and cut a sweetheart oil deal in the debt limit deal. Who would be his constituency? Who are these centrists that want that as president of the United States? Well, the debt limit deal was a bipartisan effort that worked for all Americans. The oil deal might not have done so. We, we could not afford to have our country go off the cliff for debt. That debt deal was a bipartisan deal, and all Americans would benefit. Oh, no, I'm not against the debt deal. But okay, what I'm but, saying is that Joe Manchin he is He supported somebody, the deal. But, and do you believe that Joe Manchin is the kind of candidate that no labels would support for president? Is that sort of the it, model of what kind of candidate you want? It's premature to answer that question. I don't want, I can't, I'm going to come put that jacket on Joe Manchin. First, mm-hmm. he hasn't announced that he's running, mm-hmm. and he has not asked no labels for support if he's running. Who's funding you? We're on. We're, at, we're actually out of time. Can you tell us who's your major uh, funder? No are? labels is a 501c4. Yeah. You get the same funding as uh, the League of Women Voters. Do you ask them who same their people? donors are? I would if they were sitting here. Well, I, 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 Dr. Ben Chavis, we're out of time. Oh, always Thanks. good to see Dr. you. Dr. Benjamin Chavis, thank you very much. That's tonight's readout. Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.